Hello there, I'm Justin, and welcome to today's episode of The Pickup Line. Uh, today is Friday, March 20th, and we are going to be continuing our journey through Walter Ong's orality and literacy on today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's dive right into it. So today we're looking at around page 77 of Orality and Literacy, and this this part, I'm, I'm really getting into this book now. Uh, I'm really excited for this section. So up to this point, you know, Ong has done a really great job of sort of laying the, the, found, the foundation for what orality is, for what literacy means, for what being a literate culture means, tracing a lot of the origins of... Uh, writing and and speech um, and really creating this nice framework um, to get into what he's about to get into here in part four titled writing restructures consciousness um, and I'll preface this by saying that you know I'm a writing teacher I've been in the field of writing studies for 10 years and my you know I have a I have a couple degrees in English and literature but those degrees kind of led me to more of a practitioner's um, career in terms of like teaching uh, the study of writing and and the doing of writing and the, the I'm, I'm, I'm a little more into into practical application than I am into theory but um, that's what I do and so I'm really interested in what writing is and what writing does and how we understand it so this part really spoke to me and I'll just start off by reading some of this um, Ang begins this section with uh, a heading that says the new world of autonomous discourse. A deeper understanding of pristine or primary orality enables us better to understand the new world of writing, what it truly is, and what functionally literate human beings really are. Beings whose thought processes do not grow out of simply natural powers, but out of these powers as structured, directly or indirectly, by the technology of writing. Without writing, the literate mind would not and could not think as it does, not only when engaged in writing, but normally even when it is composing its thoughts in oral form. More than any other single invention, writing has transformed human consciousness. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's true? I certainly do. I think we've seen that laid out in this book up to this point, this notion that writing is something transformative. It changed our thinking processes. It changed what it means to be human. It changed how our brains work. Um, as he goes on, and we're going to see here in a few in a few sections, in a few moments, um, the way that we've internalized writing is really the the real consciousness shift that has occurred in human beings. This move from 
hearing and speaking to writing in its very isolated and sort of like alone, out in the void kind of uh, inherent feature um, is something that I think is really important to think about and talk about. Ung continues and says, writing establishes what has been called context-free language. Um, he quotes a few, a few folks here, Hirsch and Olson and a few others, or autonomous discourse. Discourse which cannot be directly questioned or contested as oral speech can be because written discourse has been detached from its author. Now, this idea of written discourse being de- detached from its author is something that I've uh, looked into and investigated and researched in my own career a lot. I find this to be a fascinating concept, and... In the year 2020, right now, modern times, when we have technologies that connect us in interesting ways, it changes, I think, the thought, this this idea gets changed, this idea of disconnection from authorship. Um, just as one example of this, just look at Twitter, right? Twitter is this thing that exists that connects people together. It's almost an instantaneous, real-time um bridge between author and audience uh for better or for worse and there's so much potentiality there for um for sort of sort of uh filling this void this empty space that Ong is describing here when an author writes a text and that text sits out somewhere by itself um detached from the person who wrote it um it's it's a very different experience so like when I was in graduate school I would go into the library and, and, and look up an academic journal article for some research that I was doing and I would read it and I would see an author's name on that page and I had no context for who that person was or what that person was all about. All I had was that person's works cited page and this, this piece of writing that was in front of me. Today, if I wanted to go reach out to one of an author that I'm reading on Twitter, I could potentially do that. And I've done this experiment with my students in class. Um, I'll never forget once uh, in class we were watching a TED Talk. And as we were watching this TED Talk, which at that point was a few years old, I encouraged my students who were active on Twitter to reach out to the person in the TED Talk who was doing the TED Talk, sort of not live, but as a video on YouTube, and see if she uh, would like to answer some questions as we watched her TED Talk. And lo and behold, uh, she saw what we were doing on Twitter, and she noticed that we were sending her these tweets, and she responded. And we ended up having this real-time synchronous discussion with the author of that TED Talk as she was delivering the talk in a a recorded video. It was a fascinating and incredible experience, um, one that I'll never forget. And I've continued to try and do that as often as I possibly could. So I I, I like this this idea here. You know, I, I would love, I wish we could have seen what Ong would have thought about Twitter. Um, anyway, <clears throat> Ong continues and says, Oral cultures know a kind of autonomous discourse in fixed ritual formulas, as well as in Vedic sayings or prophecies, for which the utterer himself or herself is considered only the channel, not the source. The Delphic oracle was not responsible for her oracular utterances, for they were held to be the voice of God. Writing, and even more print, has some of this Vatic quality. Like the oracle or the prophet, the book relays an utterance from a source, the one who really said or wrote the book. The author might be challenged if only he or she could be reached, but the author cannot be reached in any book. There is no way to directly, there is no way directly to refute a text. After absolutely total and devastating frustration refutation, it says exactly the same thing as before. This is one reason why the book says is popularly tantamount to it is true. It is also one reason why books have been burnt. A text stating what the whole world knows is false will state 
falsehood forever, as long as the text exists. Um, so this is another, you know, in, in the age of fake news, in the age of, of, of you know, ha- it, making it so difficult to discern what's real and what's not real and what's true and what's false, um, this has all just become a big mess. Um, and social media, Twitter, these sort of platforms that I just lauded a little bit are kind of responsible for that in a lot of ways. And so it falls upon us to you know, the users, the audience to really be, be smart about what we're com- consuming and what we're, and, and how we're doing that. And then Ong gets into this really cool part, um, where he kind of goes into this discussion and kind of traces the history about some of the fears that have always cropped up and existed when any new sort of, um, technology has arisen, uh, to endeavor to make our lives easier. Um, he kind of traces this argument and, uh, kind of compares modern arguments about the problems with technology to some of the things that um, that Plato was 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 speaking about and, and having his characters argue about in some of his works. Um, for example, uh, Ong says writing. Plato has Socrates say in the Phaedrus is inhuman, pretending to establish outside the mind what in reality can be only in the mind. It is a thing, a manufactured product, the same, of course, a set of computers. Um, secondly, Plato's Socrates urges writing destroys memory. Those who use writing will become forgetful, re- relying on an external resource for what they lack in internal resources. Writing weakens the mind. Today, parents and others fear that pocket calculators provide an external resource for what ought to be the internal resource of memorized multiplication tables. Calculators weaken the mind, relieve it of the work that keeps it strong. Thirdly, a written text is basically unresponsive. If you ask a person to explain his or her statement, you can get an explanation. If you ask a text, you get back nothing except the same, often stupid words which called for your question in the first place. In the modern critique of the computer, the same objection is put garbage in, garbage out. Fourthly, in keeping with the agnostic mentality of oral cultures, Plato's Socrates also holds it against writing that the written word cannot defend itself, as the natural spoken word can. Real speech and thought always exist essentially in a context of give and take between real persons. Writing is passive, out of it, in an unreal, unnatural world, and so are computers. So this is an interesting argument, an interesting idea here. The idea that that our technology, whether that be the printing press, alphanumeric writing, languages, computers, codes, Twitter, social media, whatever, those things are becoming crutches. They're becoming things that make our minds weak, that uh, become uh, vehicles that allow us to be lazy, perhaps, to not think, to not memorize, to not uh, be able to recall information right at, at, at our fingertips. Um, you know, I mean, just think like, like today, like if we need something, what do we do? We ask Google, we ask Siri, we ask uh, Amazon Alexa, right? We've, we've come to rely on these technologies to, to fill in the gaps in, in what perhaps before was, you know, stored in in our memory banks and our brains. Um, on goes on here to say this writing and print and the computer are all ways of technologizing the word. Once the word is technologized, there's no effective way to criticize what technology has done without it, with it without the aid of the highest technology available. Moreover, the new technology is not merely used to convey the critique. In fact, it brought the critique into existence. Plato's philosophically analytic thought, as has been seen, including his critique of writing, was possible only because of the effects that writing was beginning to have on mental processes. 
And this is kind of the beginning of, of where Ang is going with this, where he's sort of starting to get to this point that, yes, uh, technology may be doing all of these things, but technology is also inherently critical to evolving human consciousness and to making us, in fact, more human. So it's, it's, getting, to a, it's getting to a good place. <laughs> um, P.S. Side note, uh, the Latin word video, V-I-D-E-O, meaning to see, right? We have a lot of words that come from Latin, but video, uh, the word video, so the things that we watch. Um, he mentions that here, which is cool. Um, and then it gets into this, this section called writing is a technology. And this, this is where I, this is where I start to see, this is where it really starts to get interesting for me. I think, um, I'll just read some of this because it's so good. Uh, Ong writes, Writing is in a way the most drastic of the three technologies. It initiated what print and computers only continue. The reduction of dynamic sound to quiescent space. The separation of the word from the living present, where alone spoken words can exist. By contrast with natural oral speech, writing is completely artificial. There's no way to write, quote, naturally. Oral speech is fully natural to human beings in the sense that every human being in every culture who is not physiologically or psychologically impaired learns to talk. Talk implements conscious life, but it wells up into consciousness out of unconscious depths. Though, of course, with the conscious as well as unconscious cooperation of society. Grammar rules live in the unconscious in the sense that you can know how to use the rules and even how to set up new rules without being able to state what they are. Writing or script differs as such from speech in that it does not inevitably well up out of the unconscious. The process of putting spoken language into writing is governed by consciously contrived articulable articulate <laughs> articulate articulable rules. Funny that I was having problems articulating the word articulable. Uh, for example, a certain pictogram will stand for a certain specific word or A, uh, the letter A will represent a certain phenom, B another, and so on. Uh, to say writing is artificial is not to condemn it, but praise it. And now here we go, right? Here, here's the part that I'm finally starting to, to be like, yes, let's go. Uh, like other artificial creations, and indeed more than any other, it is utterly invaluable and indeed essential for the realization of fuller interior human potentials. Technologies are not mere exterior aids, but also interior transformations of consciousness, and never more than when they affect the word. Such transformations can be uplifting. Writing heightens consciousness. Alienation from a natural milieu can be good for us and indeed is in many ways essential for full human life. To live and to understand fully, we need not only proximity but also distance. This writing provides for consciousness as nothing else does. He also points out this interesting paradox that artificiality is natural to human being, human beings. It's kind of a paradoxical statement there. Technology, when properly interiorized, does not degrade human life, but on the contrary, enhances it. The modern orchestra, he goes into this whole example of the orchestra, right? And instruments, instruments of music, right? These are machines. These are tools. These are devices that human beings created and, and, and devised to, to do something that is undoable with our natural bodies. It's an extension of what our natural bodies can do. It's an evolution of those processes, but still artificial, a technology, a, a thing that we created to do this. 
The fact is that by using a mechanical contrivance, a violinist or an organist can express something poignantly human that cannot be expressed without the mechanical contrivance. To achieve such expression, of course, the violinist or organist has to have interiorized the technology, made the tool or machine a second nature, a psychological part of himself or herself. This calls for years of practice, learning how to make the tool do what it can do. Such shaping of a tool to oneself, learning a technological skill is hardly dehumanizing. The use of a technology can enrich the human psyche, enlarge the human spirit, intensify its interior life. Writing is an even more deeply interiorized technology than instrumental musical performance is. But to understand what it is, which means to understand it in relation to its past, to orality, the fact that it is a technology must be honestly faced. So... This is something that we talk about all the time in the field of writing studies, that writing itself, the act of it, the learning of it, the doing of it, these are all tools. These are tools. They are tools that we use to achieve goals, just in the same way that a keyboardist would play, a, would learn the notes to play a song on the piano, in the same way that um, a painter would learn how to mix colors to indicate different hues. Writing is the exact same thing. So... Often in my career, this sort, of, uh, this sort of falsehood of let's teach people how to write by giving them a template, by giving them, you know, uh, a five-paragraph essay. This is how you do writing. Just do this and you will be successful. It's like, it's like paint by numbers, right? Like you'll never achieve a higher level of internalizing of that technology. You'll be able to mimic it. You'll be able to replicate it with some success. You know, you'll be able to complete that paint by numbers. Uh, you'll be able to maybe, you know, play that, that big note, Bradley easy songbook, but you'll never be able to internalize that technology to such a degree that you'll be able to create your own music or create your own art or, um, make that tool become like second nature to you. That's the struggle with writing. That's why writing is so difficult to teach and why the models that we use for it are often so ineffective is because we are talking about a lifelong practice, a an internalization that takes years and years and years and years and we're fooling ourselves as writing teachers if we think we're going to be able to make that internalization happen in the course of 16 weeks, a year, four years in high school, it's, it's a farce. It's farcical to think that way, in my opinion. Now, granted, if we're, if we're just trying to have our writing students and people studying writing to be able to perform certain tasks and do certain things, then sure, our models can work for that. And if that's what we want from our writers, then we need to be open and upfront and clear about that. We can't say, we want you to be a lifelong writer, we want you to internalize this writing tool as a tool, we want you to make it be a part of you and use it to be successful in everything that you do and everywhere that you go, but then also say, but we also want you to, to do this performance for us. We just need to, we need to find a balance between those two things. I think that's what Walter Ong is getting at here, is that writing with all of its history and all of the way that it's changed our minds and it's changed our consciousness and the way that we think and the way that we act... Um, it's still this sort of like internalization process that we're going through. We're trying to use, we're trying to internalize writing uh, to make it be so second nature to us that we can use it effectively, just like anybody who's playing a piano or, or, or learning a craft or doing anything, driving a car, for example. Um, so yeah, this was a really cool part of the book. Um, I really dig this idea of 
of how writing and tech and if we're talking about writing as a technology how technologies are changing our consciousness and and for the better i've been such a proponent my whole life of technology and fighting for it and you know being someone who says yes these tools are problematic in ways but those ways are also extremely beneficial right our phones are useful to us as long as we use them in ways that are going to help us become better human beings. Um, Technology is always going to present that double-edged sword, whether you're talking about alphanumeric text or you're talking about the printing press or you're talking about um, the new iPhone from Apple or whatever. It's always going to have that that sense of um, it's going to change you. And it's up to you to decide how that technology changes you. Um, Should we be using our phones to help us with math? Yes, I absolutely believe that. Should we have the, the, the wealth of resource and data that we have access to through our technology at our fingertips? Yes, we should because that those resources exist. Is that making us, is that making our minds weaker? I would argue no. Um, it's freeing up our minds to pursue other things that we can think about and do and, and, and engage our mental energies with. Um, but again, a lot of it comes down to how we as human beings decide to approach the technologies that are affecting us as, as a species, as a culture, as a person. Um, so yeah, this, I can't wait to read the rest of this. This is only a couple of pages into this section, but I'm really just taking it slow and I'm you know, talking about it uh, you know, pretty in-depthly here for each little section, and I've really been enjoying it. So what are your thoughts? Do you think that technology is something, is, is a useful tool? Do you think it's problematic? What are some of those problems? How can we avoid them? And how can we use technology, whether it be writing or a new smartphone, to make us more human? How do we do that? How can technology make us better human beings? That's the real question here. So feel free to leave a message, call into the podcast. Um, Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Pickup Line, and I will see you all next week. Everybody hang in there. Bye-bye.